Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host connects with the writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled My Life, My Love, My Poems, written from 1972 through 2012. This is a compilation by my author, Melissa Ann Sizer, who joins me from an island way off in the state of Washington in the United States. Welcome, Melissa, to the program. Well, thank you for having me. This is a great accomplishment, 317 pages, and your poetry you've been able to accumulate and not lose it. If I was doing something something like this, I wouldn't be able to share it with anybody because it would have gotten lost. How long, this is, uh, of course, a lifelong journey, I guess, from the time you were in high school or, or grade school. When did you start writing poetry? Junior high. In junior high. And you mentioned in some of your notes that your your motivation was you were maybe a little bit down at the time when you began to express yourself. Is that a theme that's been carried through your book, or is this something that was just what motivated you to begin? It motivated me to begin, and I had been writing poetry off and on. I, I sleep and I find something in my head and I write it down. And then uh, I look through my poems because I was still writing poems. And what is in the book is a, just a compilation of some of my poems that I felt I should put in the book. Um, and hopefully they would help others if they have situations like myself. The uh, the idea, the concept behind it was to share, of course, your innermost thoughts. That's uh, what most poets do. They're artists by, by right. Do you have other creative outlets, or is poetry your main expression? No, I'm also an artist. I do abstract art. Wonderful. I notice you have some photos in there that also supplement your book. Not many, but some. Is that part of also your creative uh, expression? Yes, it is. I carry my deposit. I carry my um, camera in the line, um, And it's my outlet. I, I feel, I, I look at my surroundings, and I want to keep them. How did you keep from losing your poetry? I, again, I I, uh, I think that's an accomplishment just on its own, just to be able to uh, not lose what you have created uh, creatively. Well, um, at first I just stored them in a box, pieces of paper, and then I thought, oh, this is silly. Oh, get myself a notepad. And so I got myself a notepad and 
I think it's probably a great accomplishment because you didn't depend on a computer that maybe would have crashed and burned and lost everything that you had uh, designed and, and uh, created. This is, uh, in your poetry, is there a, a, a particular poem that you think the audience not only will enjoy uh, hearing, but also give a good expression of your approach to the subject matter? Well, let me open my book. Um, well, one of my first ones on page 17 called A Knot. And that forms pretty much some of it of what I am saying in the book. Would you like me to read it? Yes, please share that with the audience. I, I know they would enjoy hearing it from the author. Okay. The title is Abuse Me Not. Abuse me. Abuse me not. Abuse me not ever again by anyone at all. My life has changed for the better. I'll never be hurt again. I've been hurt too many times to count. Pain doesn't stop even when the abuse ends. You live with it, day in, day out. Your brain never forgets. You try to sleep, but you can't. It's your brain. Your brain never forgets. It is in your brain. When finally you get to sleep, it stays with you in your dreams. So after 30 odd years, it still reminds me. Once your brain has let it go, life starts all over again. It's brighter and the sunshine only on you. And not all of your poetry is maudlin or sad. You have one titled, So Lucky. I'm so lucky to have met you. I know you will always be mine. I'm so lucky to have found you. You clear away all the fears I have. I'm so lucky that you want me too. It brings tears to my eyes. We are a lucky couple. Yes, lucky. Lucky to be here, here together and always. There's positive in your book as well. What do you hope to accomplish by sharing this, your heart and your emotions with the public? Well, as I said in the back of my book, um, this book is my survival guide. I've written about abuse, my MS, family, other people, in nature, in many ways, they have all affected me. I write as I feel and see. These writings have three needs and they may guide you too. There is, uh, as you mentioned, you continue to to express yourself in poetic form. Is there another book that's in the future? Do you think? Um, maybe so because this was barely. This is only a habit of my poetry that I've written, but I picked out the ones that I felt. People would gravitate to if they find a book. <laughs> and, uh, yes. 
You, you have you have mentioned one scene or one concept that you wanted to share, and that was uh, you you've expressed it this way: laying awake. It happens every night when I think of the the fullness of the stars. All I need to know is that you care. And then you say, come out to play. So there is a whimsical part of your poetry as well. Yes, there is. And because you don't want to write a book on just doubters, or you just don't want to write a book on, oh, happiness is everywhere, and la, 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 and the Wizard of Oz is real, because it's not reality. You, you have to to get out of your reality and the reality of others to be able to write down what you feel, not what others think you should feel. Excellent. And what you have also included, because I'm noticing your email address, has the term or has the word happy mom in it. So I think that's what it is. You are a happy person underneath it all. Underneath it all, yes, I am. Fabulous. What is your way that you would describe or get people interested in in, uh, your accumulation of poetry? How would you introduce this book to them and get them motivated to get their personal copy? Um, Well, also on the back of my book, I talk about myself. I am me, strong. I came from a childhood of abuse. Educator abuse, domestic abuse, and really growth. And growth and a frantic scramble into a fabulous life. So you have, have to know that there, there will be a happy ending somewhere along the line. If you want it to happen, it will. If you dwell on the negative, nothing good is going to happen to you. So you have to put the negative where it belongs behind you. And when it gets totally behind you, then you can start feeling the rebirth of yourself and the growth and how you are accepting life as it is now. Um, Beautifully. Beautiful. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. And my life is great. So I just wanted to share with others. Thank you for sharing your story and also sharing your heart and your soul in the book titled My Life, My Love, My Poems. These poems written from 1972 through 2012. My author, Melissa and Sizer, S-I-Z-E-R, for those of you who are doing a search online for the book. Melissa, where can we get copies of your book? Well, I know, um, I know Ex Libris will have it. Uh, I'm sure that, that uh, Barnes & Noble and Amazon, if they do a search under the title and your name, they'll be able to locate it, I'm sure. Yes, they would be. Fabulous. Thank you for joining me today, and we look forward to visiting with you in the future when the next installment of your Life, Love, and Poems gets released. Thanks again for being a part of today's program. Well, thank you, Jay, for having me on. My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. 
Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live la bella vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris on Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, It's Not What I Know, It's How I Learned It. And my guest, who's joining me from somewhere in the great state of Georgia, near Atlanta, is Dr. Richard B. Leposky. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, Jay. You are a medical doctor, if I'm understanding your personal history. Is that also correct? Well, I, I'm a maxillofacial surgeon. I, I started out as a dentist and went on to uh, special training in facial reconstructive surgery and and uh, and on to medical school, too. But the main thing is I did facial reconstructive surgery for many years. Pretty intense stuff. And, uh, well, I say stuff, a pretty intense line of work or line of, line of focus. <laughs> I was able to do it without having any extra parts left over, too, so it that's, worked out well. That's fantastic. When I'm repairing or assembling anything, I always have bolts and nuts left over. Usually end up throwing them in the trash. Yeah, not a good idea with uh, surgery. Not a good idea. Your book is unique from this perspective. Although your work is autobiographical in content, it also has some inspirational and motivational themes related not only to the medical profession, but also business. Yeah, it is, uh, because uh, not only was I, you know, as a professional uh, and surgeon, but I've been in business since, uh, in one form or another, since I was about 10 years old. So wow. my dad always taught me about businesses and, 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 uh, you know, you learn as you, as you grow. And it, the front part of the book has to do with developing the business mind. And, and that's, that's an important part and an important message to get across that it's a learning process and your journey from, Failure to success, from starting something to succeeding, is is uh, a matter of learning as you go. Uh, you just don't open your door one day and have a successful business. It's a function of all the things you learned up until that point. So uh, that's what this book is about. Uh, it's a book to uh, to chronicle uh, my 65 years of business experience, uh, and then uh, how I applied all those principles and all the things that I learned. Hence, hence the title, It's Not What I Know, It's How I Learned It. Beginning at 10 years of age, the typical business for a 10-year-old is uh, delivering papers or something else. Was it in that genre, or is it something else? Well, it, it was, but uh, I like to tell the story about me. Uh, I was an aircraft manufacturer. You know, I, I found that I could buy model airplane kits for, for 10 cents a piece or, uh, or 12 for uh, $10. 12 for a dollar. So I figured I could 
make the ones I wanted and sell the extra ones and make money. Well, I found out very soon that nobody wanted to buy my model airplane kits. <laughs> so then I, uh, I decided that I would build the model airplanes and sell the airplanes. And now that I've built them, I could sell them for 50 cents a piece. And I found after a period of time that I had 12 model airplanes laying around and nobody wanted to buy them. Hmm. So that was sort of uh, an entree into learning about uh, developing a market, too. So um, it was a great idea for an, for an eight-year-old, but it was uh, uh, a learning experience, too. Was your was your family uh, uh, bathed in entrepreneurship, or was that something that you developed personally? No, my dad had a lot to do with it. He, uh, he worked in the mill, uh, and his message to me from, his, from my first remember was, uh, you know, get an education, uh, get a good job, and then work for yourself. Hmm. And, uh, you know, before I even knew what all that meant, that's what I was destined to do. And, um, and, you know, he worked in the mill, but he always had something going on the side. You know, he worked in the mill, but he worked, at night he went to school and learned cabinetry and carpentry. And, and when the mills shut down, uh, you know, he had another business. And then when we moved to the farm, he didn't know anything about farming, but uh, but we learned and we actually survived off the farm. We couldn't grow it; we didn't eat it. And uh, uh, and that, unfortunately or fortunately, we learned the survival skills of life, you know, and um, and being resourceful. That's why Chapter One is uh, titled "Growing Up from the City to the Farm." Typically, we think of the farmers moving to the city, but in your family situation, it was the opposite. You moved from the city to the farm. Yeah, and that was survival. I mean, my dad wanted uh, wanted to uh, to well, I shouldn't. I guess I would say he wanted to survive because he knew the mills were not going to last forever. And if we learned those skills of growing food and and uh, learn, you know, with with nature, and it's an important lesson we learned. You know, if you plant a tomato seed, don't go out there the next day with vinegar and oil. You got to wait for it to grow. You have to fertilize it. You have to wait for the moment when you can pick the tomato. The other thing is, if you plant a tomato, don't go out there and expect a pork chop. So nature says you plant a seed, you grow it, you nurture it, and it, when the time is right, you harvest. And that's the same message in business. And in the business, you know, you have the idea, you grow the idea, you develop it, you nurture the idea, you get all the elements in place, and that's when the idea becomes fruitful. You have, that's what we did. You have shared personal stories in your book. Are there other individuals you highlighted in and, and highlighted their stories as well? Well, yes. Uh, 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 one was uh, my surgical coach and mentor was uh, Dr. George Satirianis, and, and he was actually probably the, the leader in developing the current facial reconstructive surgery procedures because when we first started doing facial surgery it was very limited not only by technology but by skills and by the knowledge the history of how the how the surgery could be performed hmm. and uh, you know it affected you know there were political ramifications uh, because there was there were surgeons that said you know well this is the way we've always done it so we can't do it any other way you know, and there always has to be someone who says, but there might be a better way. Right. So my experience came from 
from uh, war injuries where, you know, the face was in many, many pieces and all over the place. And you worked with whatever you had to rebuild that face for that young man or woman. And that was non-traditional when we got back, when I got back to the States, because now I knew that you could take a face apart and put it back together and mm. it would work. Whereas up until that time on the state side, there were certain areas you just didn't touch because you were afraid the face would fall apart. Wow. Now that may be oversimplifying it, but, but Dr. Satirianus had vision and, and he was willing to buck the politics for the sake of the patient. And I, I owe so much to that guy because, you know, he, he stepped out. And even today, you know, I mean, I, I think about him, I say, my goodness, you know, you don't know what you did, but we, he, and then I had some influence on it, you know, was able to learn from him. And we actually developed surgical procedures that uh, became some of the foundation for uh, current surgery. Incredible. Technology has passed those procedures up, but they were the foundation. You know, I, I, I think it's a, I think he did so much for so many patients, and, and he's a guy that uh, we all should be thankful for. Your book then would be termed, or could be termed, Motivation to Innovation in some of your aspects oh, of, of developing business. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, you again, the motivation is you know, whatever motivates you to do something, and again, gets back to trying to solve a problem, whether it's developing a business and solving a problem, or it's like in my profession, trying to help a patient, uh, whatever it is, you know, it's, you got to have, you got to have a reason to do something. And then you have to be able to gather up all the knowledge that you've had in the past and, uh, and come up with a solution or a possible solution. It's all a series of building blocks. And, and that, my, that my story's about that. You know, when I was sitting in, in the jungles in Honduras, I wasn't thinking about 57 Chevy. You know, we hmm. were thinking about survival and we were thinking about the injuries that we were dealing with and what paraphernalia, what supplies, what instruments do we have in those moments to help those patients. Today we worry about perfect sterility, but there we had chickens in the operating room, mm. you know. So it's a little bit different. Sure. In Chapter 11, you talk about politics and patient care. Uh, that is a hot topic no matter what generation you're from or in. How did you address that chapter, Correct. and what's the content? Well, that, that chapter has to do with, with the changes that we were making in, in facial surgery and in management of patients. As, as dentists, we were working within the mouth, but as facial and reconstructive surgery, we were working on, on the, whole, the whole face. And then when you explain, go beyond that, and you say, but then the face is connected to a head, and you have an alive patient there, all the emotion and all the other ramifications. And then what I saw and what I was and what we fought and worked hard and, and dealt with was, was at that time, medicine was going through changes where we were now moving to having administrate, professional administrators run hospitals as opposed to the doctors run hospitals. Right. Today, administrators run hospitals. But back then, that was an important change. So we saw things like territories. You know, certain doctors had their territory. And if a patient went for a second opinion to another doctor, then they couldn't come back to their own position because now they violated that territory. Incredible. That was unprofessional, hmm. but it was true. And, and 
boy, when you saw that, if you if you bucked the system, they could kick you off the staff or they could ostracize you from practicing in that community. That has changed today. That's all part of growth. But what I write about is how we dealt with those things, and some of it was very painful. But, you know, we saw doctors, I saw doctors, very competent doctors that, that had to leave a community just because of the political things. I saw patients that were... were uh, caught up in the politics, you know, that Mm. didn't get the care that they needed because of political things. If you went to a a hospital outside of your community to get that second opinion, you couldn't come back to your own hospital. Well, that's today, we we wouldn't even think twice about that. That's incredible. But back then, it was very, very, it was very serious stuff. So it's all part of growth. It's not a negative thing. It's just the growth processes that we go through in life. And and that's what I chronicle up in here. How long did it take you, Dr. Leposky, to, to finish this this uh, book of uh, 241 pages? Well, it took me 65 years to figure it out. <laughs> but no, it, it, it took me, I guess, I made the decision to do something probably about five years ago, and then to physically compose it and get all the data and documentation. That took me about two years to actually uh, get it into a place where somebody could read it. And as you completed this, what was your thoughts? What was your reasoning behind sharing your history and the 65 years of business growth that you have uh, experienced and viewed? Well, it was, it, it was my story, but it was something that I think if someone can read it and they can, they can realize that, that uh, success is a journey, and that it's not you're going that you're going to have challenges, and don't let those challenges be roadblocks for you. They're just nothing more than detours. So long as you don't quit, failure is not an issue. You can fail, don't quit, fail again, don't quit, but eventually you'll succeed. And and my premise when I speak to people is to say, you know, you're not a failure unless you quit. You've included many photos in your book as well. Those are from your archive of uh, service to nations overseas. Yes, yes. Yeah, th- those were just to make some of the points. But yes, they're photos of work in Honduras. I worked uh, with the Freedom Fighters in Honduras. That was all part of the International Medical Corps, by the way. That was not just me going on my own. It was all part mm-hmm. of you know, volunteer service into, uh, into Central America to help the people down there. And, uh, of course, in Vietnam, that was part of my Air Force duties there. What do you hope to accomplish by sharing your story? Well, I hope that it can, it can uh, um, motivate the reader to not be afraid of the challenges of this business or of his life, motivate them to move on. You know, we can't change the past, so, but you, you can learn from it. So I want the person reading the book to say, hey, you know, look at all the things that, that Dr. Lepofsky went through. And he never quit. He, he may have felt like it, and he may have had very life-threatening situations. But, you know, once the situation is over, you move on. It, yeah, it can cause problems. You can think about it. You can worry about it over time. But you have to move on because life's going to move on without you anyways. It absolutely so, will. And don't don't be don't be afraid to fail. It's only part of the essence of, of becoming successful. Uh, Dr. Leposky, I understand you've been married nearly fifty years. How did your duties and your overseas travel affect your family? And what did you want to pass on? Yeah, the the, the key 
you know, my my wife, a great lady, you know, she lived through all this. She support, supported everything, you know, that we did. But for the the girls, like we had four daughters, the message I wanted them uh, to leave with them and is, you know, number three things. Number one, know the difference between right and wrong, and always choose to right. Number two, always be accountable for yourself and, and your actions. And the last thing is to never stop learning. Mm. Now those three things. I wanted for those the girls, but but that's I feel applicable to every young person today. Know the difference between right and wrong, and always choose right. And number two, be accountable for your actions. Don't blame somebody else for your actions. And the third thing is never stop learning. If you never stop learning, you know you're going to continue to grow. But the day you stop learning, that's the day you quit growing, and that's not good. Not good. So these are the gifts that you know, we wanted to leave with our children, and my girls are all successful women in business, and and, uh, and not because we said to be in business, because they saw, you know, they had visions, and they pursued them, and, that, and that's sort of successful. Beautifully stated, wonderful advice. Thank you for sharing your story, your history, which is remarkable, and also some wonderful insight into business and business growth and motivation and all of those other important topics that you have developed over 65 years of learning. Uh, Thank you for sharing that with my audience. The title of the book, again, is It's Not What I Know, It's How I Learned It. And my guest has been Dr. Richard B. Leposky. Doctor, how do my listeners get a copy of your book and also keep in contact with you? You can go actually to itsnotwhatiknow.com, the name of the book, itsnotwhatiknow.com. Uh, and you can order them on there, or you can go to Amazon and Barnes and Noble, uh, you know, the major book sellers. But uh, certainly, uh, just put my name in the search engine, or go to it's not what I know dot com, and we can get them for you. So. Fabulous! It's Dr. Richard B. Laposky is spelled L I P O S K Y. If you're doing a search online, your local bookseller can also order this in for you. Highly recommend the reading, 241 pages. It's uh, filled with uh, wonderful stories, including photos of some of the challenging operations and the medical miracles that were also part of that journey. Listeners, let me remind you also, it's notwhatyouknow.com, where you will find commentary and inspirational comments and blogs from our author, Dr. Richard B. Leposky. Thank you again for sharing your story with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you again. My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Turbulence, 
and my author, John W. Van Cleef, joins me from Florida in the United States. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. Your book has a double or triple meaning. The word turbulence can mean a lot of things. The uh, opening cover of your of your novel and of your I'm sorry of your um, of your memoir shows, I believe, you in the cockpit of a large aircraft and an aircraft on the back. That has to do with air travel, but your book really deals with more than that in your memoir, does it not? Yes, it does. Yeah. Share a little of your uh, background. You, you you have Venezuela, you have uh, the United States, you have Holland in the uh, content. Share what the what the term or the word turbulence means in your uh, understanding or the way that you have uh, titled your, your memoir. Uh, we came up with that name uh, because of a uh, well, I had a pretty difficult childhood uh, and problems with my uh, my my family. They sent me away when I was like six years old, which was pretty dramatic. Uh, and then, of course, turbulence in the air. <laughs> of course, your your yeah. your mom and dad, your your biological mother and father, uh, they met in the Caribbean, if I'm understanding the history correctly, and uh, became married and lived in was it Venezuela? Was that the the area that you that you uh, were brought up in? Uh, I I was brought up in um, Venezuela for six years, and then I was sent to Holland, but. Uh, my father and my mother met on a ship going down to, my mother was going to Barbados, and uh, my father was going to Venezuela, which is another day travel, but that's where they met. And my father used to go to Barbados uh, like every month or so to see my mother, and after a year they got married. You have described your mother as a very intelligent lady, although not formally uh, educated. Uh, she uh, and your father were able to meet some dignitaries, some people of influence during their travels. How did that come about, and how did they fit in in that circle? Well, uh, for example, uh, we we lived in Australia for, for one year, and uh, while going down to Australia. We went from San Francisco to Australia, which is a long, long trip <laughs> by definitely, boat. Definitely. Uh, they met a couple, and uh, the, the the man was a professor in, in California, and he was sent down to Australia to find out why grapes didn't grow very well in Australia. And now uh, Australia is a pretty big uh, wine country. So... That's, uh, they, they, they met this person on the boat. You have, you have uh, a very interesting history because you did end up uh, being returned to uh, Holland to be brought up by foster parents. I think the foster dad was a minister, if I'm understanding your story correctly. How, yes. how, how long did you live with the foster parents, and, and uh, how did that influence your life? Oh, they had a big influence on me. Yeah, he was a, a intellectual, uh, and he was also a minister of the Dutch Reformed Church. Uh, I, I was with them for like uh, uh, twelve years. Twelve years to to almost early adulthood, then. Pardon me. Till almost early adulthood, almost eighteen. Is that uh, correct? Yeah, 
Yes, sir. Correct. And you returned or, or ended up in the United States. How did you become interested in air travel and uh, the the profession of being a pilot? I was always fascinated by uh, airplanes since I was a kid. And uh, I always wanted to be a pilot, but I, I didn't know if I could make it. And uh, in the military, I tried to join uh, or become a pilot. But I couldn't pass the hearing test, and I think it was the guy that was giving me the, uh, the, the hearing test, didn't know how to operate the machine. But uh, afterwards, I got my private pilot's license and all the licenses to become uh, eventually an instructor and then get hired by American Airlines. And so there was nothing wrong with my hearing. <laughs> You've traveled worldwide not only as a pilot, but also before becoming a pilot. Your family was very uh, adventuresome, I guess, would be the, or adventurous would be the way to describe it. Well, we lived in Venezuela, which is really close to the Caribbean. And my parents used to go through the Caribbean a lot. They had friends in Barbados and Trinidad. And I've been on almost every island in the Caribbean. Uh, and then later on, when I started flying for American Airlines, uh, I used to fly to Caribbean a lot. Why did you decide to, to share your story, John? You're, you have a, a fascinating history, of course, but what was the motivation behind putting it into print? Well, I never had uh, any intention of writing a biography, but... Uh, I had friends and uh, family, they insisted that I write a book because they said I had such an interesting life. <laughs> it, it, is, so, it, it is an interesting read, 192 pages. How long did it take once you decided, well, I guess I'll give in and, and do what my friends and family have suggested and write this, this memoir? How long did it take, John, to go back and uh, recap things? A little over two years, uh, yeah. One thing that I found of interest, besides you have included some wonderful photos of, of uh, life in, in Holland, you have uh, included a photo of one of your school teachers. Share a little, by, yeah. a little of how that inf in, impacted your life. Ms. Grin uh, when Grinvestuck, I, when I think I went, it was. When I went to Holland, I couldn't speak uh, Dutch. I was brought up uh, speaking Spanish, English. I even went to a French school in Venezuela. The elementary schools are very bad over there. Hmm. But uh, let's see, what was the question? Uh, well, I was asking about Miss Grevenstuck. I think is is the uh, or Grevenstuk. I'm not sure how her name is pronounced, but uh, one of your elementary school teachers that you. Oh uh, yeah. You oh had. yeah, the school teacher. Yeah, the, we had only two school teachers in in that school. It was tiny. It was, mostly were farm kids went to. And uh, she spoke English, and she helped me learn the Dutch language uh, a little uh, quicker uh, by keeping me in class for like an hour after school. And she spoke English. The headmaster didn't speak English, but uh, my my uh, school teacher uh, she uh, she spoke English, so we could at least communicate. It, amazing. She also was a, a lady that uh, lived at least to 101 years old, is the, the photo that you have in your book. 
You also, well, she also remembered you as a student because you had given her a gift, and she had retained that. Yes. Was there any other than the the language training and studies that she c- contributed to your life? Were there other things about that relationship that were memorable? Yeah, uh, the headmaster sometimes was pretty nasty to her. I, I, I always defended her. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Which which of the stories in your book do you think is uh, is the one that you enjoyed telling the most? Uh, there's so many stories in there, but uh, like my experience in Saudi Arabia was pretty pretty unique. I flew a lot of dignitaries all over the world, and it was really an interesting uh, time in my life. What do you think shaped you the most in all of your experiences? Shaped me the most. Shape, uh, well, shaped you into into the oh, resolute person that you are. Was, probably the influence from my uh, foster parents. Uh, they they helped me an awful lot, and they had a huge uh, influence on me. And they were are, very lucky. Are, are you retired now from uh, from flying, or are you still active? No, I, I retired uh, almost, uh, let's see, like 13 years ago. 13 years ago. And uh, yeah, you're just taking it easy in Florida. Are you planning to write a sequel to this, or is this your first and well, last book? This my first book. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to, I wouldn't mind writing some more, but uh, I'm having a really hard time marketing this book. Yes. To market it with a professional is very expensive, and I'm, I'm just <laughs> running out of money trying to well, get this book going. Well, you can't take it with you. You might as well spend it and enjoy it. I mean, that's uh, that's that's what they say. Uh, this yeah. this will give the reader influence, or not influence, but a background story not only of your personal life, but also a little insight into the airline airline industry, the travel industry. The title of the book, again, is Turbulence, uh, has uh, multiple meanings, of course, and on the cover you'll find the photo of our author, John W. Van Cleef, and Van Cleef is spelled V-A-N, then space, and then K-L-E-E-F-F, and uh, if you want to do a search online, you can find it that way, but how else can they get a copy of your book, John? Well, it's for sale at Amazon, and it's also at Barnes and Nobles, but it's kind of ridiculous. They have it at Barnes and Nobles only on special order. It should be uh, among new uh, releases and maybe a, uh, a plaque or some kind of advertising. It's, who has ever heard of my name and who's ever heard of the name of the book, you know? Well, they can go to their local bookseller worldwide and uh, request it under the name of the book, Turbulence, and uh, mm-hmm. should be able to get it ordered in. So, John, best of luck with this, and hopefully it will uh, it will get lots of traffic and uh, make it possible for you to add a second installment, perhaps. Thanks for joining me today and sharing your story. All right. Thank you very much. My pleasure for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. joins us next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors right here on Ex Libris On Air.